Today we'll be reading the scriptures from the book of James, the fifth chapter, and we'll be reading verses one through six. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have ushers in the aisles who have some. They'd be happy to hand you one. If you don't have one at home, please take it and keep it. That would be our gift to you. And if you have that one of those Bibles you're reading from, we're on page 1013. So that's James, the fifth chapter, starting with verse one. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place, this church, and especially for your word. Please bless Pastor Mike as he comes now to preach to us the message you've laid on his heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, you can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. If you're new here, I would uh, just want to tell you that we are so glad that you're here. Uh, we love it when people bring their friends to church. And so if this is your first time, uh, I would personally love to meet you. And so there's a couple ways that we can do that. I'm going to be standing out in the courtyard afterwards because Janine has so many snacks for us, like afterwards. I saw like, so, there's yes, amen to that, to snacks. Yes, I'm having what they call a cheat day, and I'm having some. I'm really excited. So I'm going to be out there, and if you can like bump hands with me while I'm stuffing my face, I'd love to do that, shake your hand, uh, do that kind of stuff. If you want to do like a less like, you know, uh, like in-your-face approach and just like meet in a different way, fill out one of the Connect cards. McKenna will tell you about it at the end of the service, and then I'll reach out to you this week, you know, after I come out of my food coma uh, from today. So super excited that you're here. So one of, the, uh, one of my favorite things, one of the favorite things that we do as a church is that we just preach through entire books of the Bible. That's what we do. We just pick a, pick a book of the Bible and we preach through it. And so we've been going through the book of James. We're just preaching every single verse in it, and that's where we're currently at. Next, after that, if you're just the kind of person that says, well, where are we going to go next? After that, we're going to go into Esther, and we're going to spend uh, a couple of weeks in Esther. We're going to look at that entire book and everything that the Bible has to say in there. And we do this because we believe that all of Scripture, all of it, every bit of Scripture is God-breathed, and all of it is good for teaching and rebuking and encouraging. And when we preach through God's Word, we believe that God's word will get some things done. That's why we do this, because we think God's word is going to get some things done. We believe that God's word will inspire our lives. It will literally give the inspiration for how we're going to live our lives. We also believe that it will inform our lives. We want, it, we want that the primary source of our information as Christians comes from God's word, so that we wouldn't worry so much about, well, what does the world say about this, or what does U.S. News, or Fox News, or any other news organization say about something? We'll look and see, well, what does the scripture say? 
We want that to inform our lives. And then also we want it to transform our lives. We want our lives to look less and less like the world every day and more and more like Jesus. And so we go into his word to allow the word to do that work through the Holy Spirit and doing that. And so as we have been working through James, we've said that we need to remember two things. Uh, we got to remember two things. You're going to look at James. You really got to remember two things. The first is this. We are saved by grace and grace alone. You do not earn this. You do not deserve it. You are saved by grace. That is how you get saved. Jesus just decides to save you. So we want to remember that. But we also want to remember that as people saved by grace, our lives should be transformed daily into the image of God. So God saves us right where we're at, but he doesn't leave us right where we're at. He transforms us every day to look more and more like Jesus. And so we've just been walking through this book and just preaching through it. And one of the blessings of just preaching through books of the Bible, there's other ways of preaching, but the, one of the blessings of just preaching through books of the Bible is that as a pastor, I get to address whatever the text says when we come to it. And, and so that means that I neither have to set out to preach difficult topics, nor do I have to avoid preaching difficult topics. I can just go through the text, and when we come to a topic, that's the one we're going to preach on that day. And I just noticed this to be sure. I noticed this as a pastor. I know that there are some topics that are harder to talk about than others. There's just some topics that are harder to talk about. So this week I got an encouraging text from a friend of mine, and she was just like, hey, uh, good luck with tomorrow's text. I mean, kind of paraphrased, but she said it's a, it's a hard text, but I like that we just go through it. This is a hard text. And if you just felt like known as like body language when she got done reading that text, it was like, dang, James, like, like, like it's, it's Father's Day. Did you get the memo? We got snacks, man. What are you doing? Um, but hey, this is where we're at. This is what we get to go through. And so I know that there are some, uh, th some things that are hard to talk about. As a matter of fact, I think probably the three biggest topics that people struggle to talk about, people don't love talking about, are money, sex, and power. Now, coincidentally, money, sex, and power are also three big umbrella sins that people struggle with every day. And it's not that people don't have other sins. It's just that they tend to fall into those big three categories. And so we don't necessarily like talking about this stuff. It is, it'll oftentimes make people uncomfortable to talk about money in the church. They'll be like, oh, man, what's the pastor going to say? Is he going to ask us to give more? What's this about? Is this a giving sermon? What's this about? And, and I know that we have that. And I know that there's a lot of conversation in the Bible about money. And so in our text today, we're going to encounter one of these topics. We're going to talk about money. And, 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 and we're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about money. That's what James talks about. That's what we're going to talk about. Well, I should say, I'm going to talk about it. You get to listen. If you want to talk about it, get in a community group, and then you'll be able to talk to each other this week about how, how that works out. And that'll be great for you. And I want you to know that I know this is a particularly difficult subject. I want you to know that all week long I've been praying about people having open hearts to, to hear God's word because I know that this is like one of those things that's deeply personal. Like we would love to talk to each other about all kinds of stuff, but we don't want to talk about money. That's a big one. That's private. Like that's, that's separate. We don't like doing it. And people get nervous about it, and I want you to know I get that. I've been praying about it this week. And we know that it's a hard topic because Jesus himself spoke on it a lot. There's a lot of conversation in the scriptures about money. And so that's what we're going to talk about today because that's where we're at uh, in the text. I think it's at least worthy of noting that we come to this passage at a time when in our country and in this time, like where we're at right now, like 
June of 2022, money is a pretty big topic in our world right now. There's a lot of stuff going on about money. I think it's interesting that we're just preaching through a book of the, t- uh, of the Bible, and we come to this section that's about money, and we're dealing with a lot of money stuff that's going on. If you just look at the news, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of money talk lately. Like, we're dealing with, it, with inflation, actually substantial inflation. Uh, mostly, if you ha- drive at all, you've noticed that gas prices have gone up. This is one of my favorite things right here. This is funny. I, I like this. Um, it's less funny in my house because I drive a diesel. Um, and so, you know, Courtney and Michaela have been like, what is that? Can we stay? And I'm like, ah, for now, but we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, the gas prices are expensive. They, they've gone up. It's, it's real. It's not, like, it's not like you can't notice this. It's a, it's a lot. And of course, gas isn't the only thing that's gone up. Grocery prices have gone up. If you've gone grocery shopping lately, you've noticed that prices have gone up. Milk's up, bread's up, coffee's up, uh, corn and wheat, are like all of that stuff is up. And then on top of it, this week, uh, just, a, just an extra little present going into the weekend, the Fed raised the interest rate. And so that was fantastic. Thank you, Fed. Nobody even knows who these people are until they raise interest rates, right? I feel like the Fed is one of those people where like as they're lowering interest rates, everybody's like, yeah, Fed, way to go. Like, we don't care who you are, but just keep doing a good job. And then when they start raising it, the people are like, who's the Fed? Uh, can we get their address? I'd like to go meet them. It, don't worry about them. They're fine. Uh, they actually raised it pretty big, three quarters of a percent interest rate. It hiked this week. It's the largest uh, hike since 1994. There's a lot of stuff going on. And according to most economists, we will have several more interest rates hikes this year, and it'll probably continue for the foreseeable future. The interest rates will just continue to climb. And so there's a lot of conversation right now about money. There's a lot of things going on. And people will say, well, like, why is this happening? What's, who do we blame? Like, who do we get mad at? Who should we write letters to? Um, but here's the reality. Most people are not economists. But most people are experiencing real inflation, which in its most basic terms just means that the price of everything is going up, making your dollar less valuable than it was last year. And so this is what's happening. This is what's really going on right now. I was in a... Um, in the economic summit this past week, and the guy that was talking, he's an investment advisor, and he said that what's happening right now is that we have 8% inflation. That's real inflation, 8%. If you don't believe it or whatever, that's fine. We could argue later, but that's what this guy said. Real inflation, 8%. And then he also said that most people got a cost of living increase this year of 3%. And so what that means is that most people have 5% less money to deal with than they had last year. 5% less to buy groceries and and clothing and vacations and all that kind of stuff. That's just real. That's what's happening. And so it makes sense that there's so much talk about money right now. There's a lot of talk about money in the world. And I think there's so much talk about it because people are actually nervous. If you really start talking to people, the average person, the average individual is a little bit nervous. People are nervous about continued rising inflation. They're continued about nervous uh, about interest rates. They're nervous about the cost of food and gas and labor and all of these things. And I have to tell you, I understand why people are nervous, but I believe that as Christians... As people who believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as people who have been saved by him, by his blood, I think that we can be less nervous than other people because as Christians, we ought to believe far less of the lies that money tells us. Church, you know that money lies to you, right? 
Church, money lies to you. It, it lies to you by promising you things that it can never actually deliver on. It promises you things that it can never actually give you. Money promises you happiness. Like if you could just get enough money, you'll be happy. And I want you to know this is just categorically not true. Some of the most miserable people I know have the biggest bank accounts. And also at the very same time, I am seeing images this week of our team that's over in Africa as they're just hanging out with these young kids. And these kids are so full of joy and happiness and they have next to nothing. They have next to no money. So money doesn't buy happiness. It's not true. It can't do it. Some people think that money uh, promises power, but it's not true. It will never give you power that's worth anything. And even if money manages to give you power, it is the kind of power that will most likely harm you. And so it makes this promise that it can't deal with. And then the biggest lie that money tells us is that it promises security. Money promises security. Like if you could just get enough money set aside, you'll be okay. If you could just get enough money, you'll be able to withstand whatever happens in the world. And it's just not true. When sickness comes or cancer calls or, or the economy changes or the economy tanks or a worldwide pandemic comes along, there's not enough money that can truly keep you safe from all the things that are going on. There's just not enough of it. There's just not enough. And so the bottom line is that money cannot do for you what you think it can do for you. And money, because of that, it means we don't have to believe these lies that money tells us. Now, church, I want to be clear. This isn't a sermon about you don't need money. It's not a sermon about that, and it's not a sermon about, about just give all of your money away. I know that you need money. I know that it's a tool that you utilize to purchase goods and service. I manage a construction company, and I pastor this church. I get money. I understand how it works. In my company right now, we have 78 employees. Right now, we have 78 employees, and every one of them needs money. Every one of them is trying to figure out like how to make their money go further. Everybody's doing that. As a church, we have costs. It costs money to rent this space. It costs money to, to have coffee and treats and all those kind of things. I get how money works. We have a staff here and all of them need to get paid so that they can go out and buy their groceries and all that stuff. I get how money works. So I'm not saying you don't need money. I'm saying that money is woefully unable to deliver on the promises that it can buy you happiness, power, or security. I'm saying I know that this is a broken world and you're constantly being told to get more money. You're constantly being told to leverage your life for it. You're constantly being told to hoard it away and get as much of it as you can. And I just want you to know that you don't have to do that. You can hold your money with open hands. Church, as a matter of fact, that's a big idea today. You can hold your money with open hands. You can just hold on to it with open hands. Like, yeah, you're going to need some, but you can hold it a lot less tight. And so today in this passage, we're going to pull out just three key ideas. The first one is this. You can hold your money with open hands because it is perishable anyway. It's perishable anyway. Look what the text says. It says, come you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Your riches have rotted. And even if they haven't rotted yet for you, they will rot. This is what will happen to your riches. They will deteriorate. They will go away. They won't last forever. Your garments are moth-eaten. For historical context, during this time period when James is writing this, clothing was a big way of showing people that you had extra, that you had more. I know we can't relate to that living in America in 2022, right? But during this time period, if you wore certain kinds of clothing, it told the world that you had made it, that you had done well. And James is saying those clothes, 
clothes, they're going to rot. They're going to get eaten by moss. They're going to deteriorate. They're, gonna like, they're not going to last forever. Your gold and silver, he says, have corroded. They are worth less than they used to be. And James is saying that in the end, all of these things that you have will be evidence against you, evidence that you placed far too much stock in them. This stuff is going to rot. Your stuff is going to rot. James starts off this passage with a degree of harshness. It's almost like he's, he's being harsh because he's trying to make an emphatic point about how temporary your money is. It's so temporary. It is not going to last forever. It is certainly not eternal. And in a real way, we're seeing this right now. Your money through no, like you've done nothing wrong. Hey, I just want to let you off the hook. You didn't screw anything up. Your money today is worth less than it was last year. You say, what are you talking about? A dollar's worth a dollar. Well, yeah, but last year a dollar bought a half a gallon of gas. This year, a dollar buys a quarter gallon of gas. That's just, it just means your dollar is worth less. And you can be like, well, what did I do wrong? Nothing, nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. You just were walking along, just living your life. You didn't do anything wrong. Well, did somebody do something wrong? Well, maybe, it's pretty complicated. But like at your house, you probably ain't gonna be able to figure that out. You should just know your money's worth less. And this is what happens, is your stuff will perish. It will not last forever. We're seeing a real example of this right now. Your money is temporary. And so what about your stuff? Well, that stuff's gonna rot too. That's what's going to happen with your stuff. You know what happens when somebody dies? Every time somebody dies, this is what happens. Their family comes in and takes the stuff of theirs that they want, and the rest of that stuff gets tossed out. It gets thrown away. It gets put in a garage sale. It gets like, if you're famous enough, maybe it gets put in a museum. But for most of us, just regular people, that stuff's going to get thrown out. Uh, a couple of years ago, Penny's grandma passed away. And we went into her house, and the family took the kind of the stuff that they want and the stuff that they didn't want. They decided to make a garage sale, and they were going to give that money away to charity. And I remember as we were just cleaning out the house and we're putting up all this stuff, I'm thinking, like, this is all this stuff that this, this woman amassed over this time, and now we're, like, selling it for pennies on the dollar. One of the things that really blew my mind is that she had these dresses, she used to, these shirts. Uh, she used to buy these shirts off of, uh, I think it's a home shopping network. Uh, she'd buy these shirts off the home shopping network, and they were designed by this guy named Bob Mackey, and I don't know him, but she used to always say, hey, you know Bob Mackey designs stuff for Cher? Like, Cher, like, if you could turn back time. That may, I got some of you? Good. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, Cher. Anyways, and so she'd be all excited. Like, I own this shirt, just like, like made by the same person that made Cher's clothes. And she'd be all excited. And we hung those on a rack and we sold them for five cents a piece, right? That's what we did with them because nobody wanted them and nobody would buy them. This is what happens to your stuff. It will be, it, it, it'll go away. It, it, it'll be worthless. You've heard this old cliche saying that you never see a U-Haul truck in funeral possessions, that when you die and you go and you get buried or, or cremated or whatever happens to you, your stuff stays wherever it was at. It ain't coming with you. Like you ain't taking it with you. It's going to get ruined and destroyed over time. That's just what's going to happen. You can't take it. And probably just as true, most of the stuff that you have, your kids won't want. Some of us are at that age where we're thinking like, well, what am I going to do with my stuff when I die? And we think, well, our kids are going to want all this stuff. They don't want your crap. They don't want it. It's lame. It was your stuff. It's weird. My grandma collected Santa Clauses for years. I mean, they were like her prized collection. These Santa Clauses. She had all these Santa Clauses. She just would collect them over the years. And when she died, my grandpa was like, hey, you guys should have Grandma Santa's. And we're like, ugh. It kind of creeped me out. Like, I don't, like, okay, Grandpa, we'll take them. And so all of us, every, every grandkid took like a, like a tote box, like, like one of those little like Rubbermaid tote boxes of these Santa Clauses. And right now they're in my attic in Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 120 
28 degrees today. I don't even want to open it because I'm afraid that my grandma would yell at me for leaving them up there, right? I don't know what to do with them. I don't want to throw them out, but I don't want them. Like, they're, like they're just getting ruined up. If anybody wants some Santa Clauses, let me know. I got some Santas at my house. If you'll put them up and display them and, and tell people about them. See, here's the thing. Your stuff is going to rot. It's temporary. It's not going to last. And, and, and again, I know you need money. Just don't love it. You don't need to love it, and also you can just be content with what you have. You may remember the passage from our study of Hebrews just last year that said this, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The idea of contentment seems so foreign in this world today. This idea of being content seems so foreign in the world today because we're constantly being enticed to get the latest and the greatest, constantly being encouraged to get more. And I'm telling you, and James is telling you, that you can go ahead and get all you want, but it will perish. It will not last. And so Christian, you don't have to hold so tightly to your money that will perish anyway when you can hold on to Jesus who is everlasting. To hold so tightly to this money. And as I was reading through the text, I was like, I think most of us know this part. I think most of us understand this part. I think most of us get this. We grasp it. We don't have to think about it maybe a lot, but, but we get that our stuff is temporary. We know we're not going to take it with us. We, we, sort of th- we sort of know that. We buy stuff. Sometimes we have too many things in our closet. We know we don't need all that stuff, but we also sort of think it's sort of like, a, like it doesn't really harm anything. It's not really hurting anything. It, we think it doesn't really hurt anyone. Like what's the big deal? If I accumulate a bunch of riches and then I die and those riches just rot and decay, it's no big deal. It's not like I really hurt anybody. But what if that's not true? What if that's not true? What if by accumulating a bunch of stuff or hoarding a bunch of stuff or holding on to a bunch of stuff, we are actually hurting people? James is going to turn the passage to let us know that hoarding our money and acquiring riches does actually harm others. And so the second thing I want you to know today, church, is you can hold money with open hands because otherwise you could legitimately harm others. Church, you could legitimately harm others if you are holding your money tightly if you're holding it tightly, so tightly that it can't do others any good, you could legitimately be harming others. And I don't think any of us are setting out to do that. But look what the text says. It says, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Again, for historical context, you can know that James is speaking specifically of people who owned land and had workers who worked that land, and they are underpaying them. They're literally like underpaying them or just not paying them at all. Like these workers are doing a work, and then the the owners are like, yeah, we're not going to pay you this week. Uh, It it sort of sucks to suck. Uh, Imagine what that would be like if you just went and did work all week, whatever you do, uh, maybe you like I, I work in IT, maybe you like work in construction, but if you went and did an entire week's worth of work and then your boss was just like, yeah, hey, we just decided not to pay you this week. I don't know if you know, costs are high, so we decided not to pay you. That would be horrible. That'd be like just criminal. If you'd call the police, it'd be horrible. And, and so here that's what's happening. They're literally withholding from them. It, it's like they're actually stealing from their employees and James wants them to know that God sees that and God doesn't like that. And there's a way to read this and think, oh good, that's not me. Like, oh, good, that's not me. I'm off the hook because I don't actually have employees or anything, so I couldn't actually mistreat anyone. There's a way to read this and think this doesn't apply to me, a way to think that my money is my own, and I can certainly do what I want because I don't have employees. If I ever get employees, certainly I'll pay them well, but I don't have employees, so this text doesn't really pertain to me. And if I had employees, you might say, believe me, if I had some employees, you can know that I would treat them really well. I would pay them so well. Like, I don't have employees. My boss has employees. He's a jerk. If I had employees, I wouldn't do it 
like that. I would, man, I would crush it for them. I would, I would be so good at them. My employees would be treated so, my, my employees would probably be the best paid employees in the industry. That's what I would do. And here's what I want you to know. If you are a member of this church, you're not off the hook that easy. You see, this is a congregationally led church. This is you guys' church. This is not like I started a business and this is my business. This is our church, and it's much, as much mine as it is any other member's. And at this church, we have employees. So guess what? If you're a member of Mission Valley Church, you do have employees. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that just happened. This church has employees, really, really great employees who work really, really, really hard. And if you are a member here, you know that those hardworking staff members deserve to be compensated well for their hard work. And even if you are not a member here, here, even if you're not a member here, I would tell you you're still not off the hook. Because when we look at the Bible in full, we don't get off the hook that easily. Just look at this. Look what it says in Proverbs 22, 16. It says, whoever oppresses the poor... Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Okay, so it's possible to oppress the poor to increase your wealth even if you don't have employees. Like you can drive around this town. You can drive around this town and it doesn't take five minutes to drive past people who are seriously hurting. To to drive past people that are seriously hurting for money. People that are homeless. People that are just, 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 just hurting so bad. It doesn't take five minutes to do that. It's all over the place. Like you can see it without, you you can't drive around five minutes without seeing homelessness. Look what it says in Proverbs 14.3. It says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. It is an insult to God to oppress the poor, to keep them poor, to help them to stay poor. It is offensive to God. I wonder if we recognize that when we are driving around seeing people that are poor and doing nothing about it, that is offensive to God. That's offensive. We are offending God. These people are made in his creation, in his image. They are image bearers just like anybody else. And to do nothing about this problem that we see in our society right now is offensive. Look what it says in Proverbs 17.5. It says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. It is an insult to God to mock the poor. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I don't know if, if you've ever done this or if you'd ever admit it. I know that I've done this before. I have driven up and I see somebody standing on the side of the road and judgment comes to my mind. I get to judging them. Like, I wonder, what is, like, why are you not working? There's plenty of work out there to do. What is it that you're doing? I, I, I'm making judgments about them. I might even think poorly about them. And to do that is to insult God. To judge them is, 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 is to not care for them. It is insulting. Here's something I don't even know if you're aware of this. In Phoenix, Arizona, the sixth largest city in the U.S., there is an unbelievable homeless problem. If you want to just see, if you want to just get a taste of how bad the homelessness is right now, of course you can drive around the valley and you see it kind of spread all over the place. But if you want to see it concentrated, like what does it look like, drive downtown. If you were to drive downtown between 3rd Avenue and 7th Avenue, between Washington and Adams, you would see a homeless encampment. In Phoenix, Arizona, nestled right between the state capitol and city of Phoenix City Hall, you would see a homeless encampment where there are thousands of people living in tents. Thousands of men, women, and children living in tents with no running water, no air conditioning. It is going to be 115 degrees this week, and that's how they are living down there right now. That is, that is what's happening. This is a real problem that we have there. There's a real problem with homelessness. There's a real problem with people not having enough stuff. And I get it that this is a complicated problem. 
I get it. People will say, well, I don't know what to do about it. What should we do? I've heard that, that you shouldn't give people the money because what if they do the wrong things with it? And, I, and I've heard like, that you can't like, bring them all water because like, well, you'd run out of water. And I, I've heard all this stuff. I've heard that it is so, so complicated. Like We say, like, well, we don't know what to do. Should we build more shelters? Should we like, bust these people somewhere else where it's cooler? Like, should we teach them? Like, what do we do? Some of them are mentally ill. I don't know what to do. This is like this huge problem. I don't know what to do about it. And here's what I'm pretty sure of. We should not do nothing. I think when I look at the scriptures, it's pretty clear that we should not do nothing. I think so, too often we get so confused about like, well, what should we do? What's the right way to handle this? What should we do? Well, we probably should stop doing nothing. We should probably stop that. We probably ought to at least drive around in this city. You know you could guarantee that you're going to drive past thirsty people every day. Is that a fair enough assessment that every single day you are going to drive past a corner where there's going to be somebody thirsty on it, somebody thirsty for a basic need like water? I bet most of us could afford a case of water and leave it in our car and at least give out a water bottle. That would be doing something, which is better than doing nothing. And I think all too often we're doing nothing. And I think the text is kind of telling us that's probably not okay. That is probably oppressing the poor. What should we do? I, I don't know, but we should stop doing nothing. What we should not do is continue to acquire more and more things that we don't need while people made in the image of God are hungry and hot and homeless. I'm very confident that we should not hold our money so tightly that we are never helping those in need. Now, I get the wisdom is needed. I get that I do. I understand that we, we can't empty every dollar out of our bank account and give it away, or else we may end up there too. But surely we can't do nothing. What if we tried this? Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. What if we would just take that approach, if we would just be generous? I don't know what generous looks like for you. I don't know what generous looks like for me. I know what generous looks like in my house. I don't necessarily know what it looks like in your house. But what if we would just take on an attitude of generosity, that there are people that need stuff, and we have stuff, and maybe we could be a little bit more generous. Hopefully, God's people would be among the people that would be generous. And what the text is telling us today, at least some of these texts as we're looking through Proverbs, is to, that to withhold that is insulting to God, and it is harmful to these people to people that are hurting, made in God's image. I don't know how you do it in your house. Here's how we do it in our house. This is what we do in our house. Uh, we're not great. We're not perfect. We're just, this is just how we do it. We want to make a plan in our lives for generosity. That's what we want to do in our house. We make a plan for generosity. This is what I think about plans. If you don't have a plan, you're open to anything, right? If you don't have a plan, you're open to anything. So in our house, we just have a plan for generosity. Here's our generosity. But you want to know the Mike, Mike and Penny Lee plan for generosity. This is what we do. We give a portion of every dollar that we get to this church because we know that this church is doing good work for this community to spread the gospel so that more people come to know about Jesus. We give this church our best gifts first. We do that every single week. That's what we do. That's one of our plans for generosity. Our other plan for generosity is that we take a portion of our money and we give it to other organizations, both locally, nationally, and internationally that are helping people. 
that are doing something. It is different than doing nothing. We are doing something. That's what we do. We, get, we just have a plan for that. And then as needs arise, we talk about it, we pray about it, and if possible, we like to give to that too. That is our plan for generosity. Our plan for generosity in our house is that if anybody in my house is aware of a need, if we have a, uh, uh, if Courtney's got a friend at school that, has, that doesn't have something, if Michaela has a friend at school, we know that in our house, that's supposed to come to the family table and we're going to pray about it and see if we can make a way to have less at our house to give something to somebody else. That is our plan for generosity. We could do more. We should do more. We could do better. We should do better. But we need to at least have a plan. Those who have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus ought to have a plan for generosity. Christian, don't harm others by holding onto your money so tightly that it can't help them. I think there's like horrible statistics out there that talk about that if Christians, if Christians would just be generous, we could fix a lot of problems in the world. We could literally pull every single child out of the foster care system in America if every Christian household would adopt one kid. We could just end it. That's enough of that. We don't have any more kids in foster care. We'll just take a kid. If Christians would just do some of the stuff that we know that we're supposed to do, that we're called to do, we could fix a lot of problems. Could we end homelessness uh, just here as, as the body known as Mission Valley Church? No, but we could help a lot. We could help a lot. We could help a lot and we should. But here's the thing I want you to know. It's not just others that you could harm by holding your money so tightly. You could harm yourself as well. Church, you can hold your money with open hands. Otherwise, you could legitimately harm yourself. Look what it says in verse 5 and 6. It says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James is warning these people of the judgment that waits for those who hoard their money who indulge themselves so much that they simply cannot bless others. They are like an animal feeding itself, awaiting a slaughter. Last year, my family and I, we drove to Missouri, and as we drove, we drove through Amarillo, Texas. If you've been through Amarillo, Texas, they have feedlots there. There's so many cows that, like, it looks like the earth is moving. It's kind of disoriented. There's so many cows. And we're driving along, and Courtney goes, hey, what are you going to do with all those cows? And James goes, oh, I know. We're going to eat them. And she's like, oh, no, but like, for real, like, what's going to happen to the cows? And she, he goes, no, no, seriously, in the most awesome big brother way ever, he was like, oh, totally. They're going to feed those cows, and when they get fat enough, they're going to kill them, and then we're going to have steak. It's going to be awesome. And she's like, oh, wow, that's horrible. So like, she's like, those cows are literally, that's what they're for, like to feed people? And, and, and James is like, yeah, for sure, like to feed a steak and, and hamburgers, which is fantastic. It's going to be great. Like that's literally what they're for. That's what they're made for. And I want you to know that as God's masterpiece, as those made in his likeness as those saved by the blood of his son Jesus, surely we are made for more than that. Surely we are made for more than amassing money and stuff and then dying. Surely we are made for more than 401ks and savings accounts and more square footage and nicer clothes and letting Target tell us what we need. Surely we are made for more than that. What if the American dream that we are working so hard to pursue is an illusion that is not only not as helpful as we'd like to pretend it is, what if it's actually harming us? What if it's actually harming us? What if it's keeping us from the life God has planned for us? What if the love of money is not just some victimless offense? What if we are the victims? 
what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 10. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is a warning that the love of money, the love of what money buys, the love of what money promises but does not deliver has caused some to wander from their faith and actually pierce themselves with many pangs. And if you have Jesus, you simply do not have to hold on to your money so tightly that it can harm you. If you have Jesus, you can hold your money with much more open hands so that it doesn't harm you. Christian, don't hold your money so tight that it can harm you. There's a way to hold this money so tight to believe its lies so much that it actually does you harm. It keeps you from living the life that God would have you lead. Right now I have a son, he's over in Africa, and he is getting blown away by it. Every single day I'm just watching, you know, as I'm just seeing stories of what's going on, and I'm getting phone calls about him. He is, he, is, he is exchanging the American dream right now. He's exchanging the American dream for something else. He is spending his time, talents, and resources over in Africa talking to people about Jesus, helping them get an education. Last week he taught Romans 8, and he taught proper nouns. And he told me, he said, Dad, I'm so excited to give them eternal hope and give them something that can give them some temporary hope here as well. And I think that's so great. And I know that there's going to be part of the world that when he comes back here, people are going to tell him, you don't need to remember that so much. Go back to the way that you lived before. Go back to trying to amass stuff. Go to school and get your education and make as much money as you possibly can. And I don't want him to lose whatever he's gaining over there. This idea that like the American dream is not everything it's cracked up to be, that maybe God has something better for us. And to not believe that is to harm ourselves. To trade the life God has for you for some watered-down version of what the American dream is, is harmful. And I want you to know you don't have to hold your money so tightly. So if you don't hold on to your money, what should you hold on to? What is it that we should hold on to? I mean, it is scary out there at times, right? I mean, the world is broken. I mean, there are a lot of problems. There's a lot of stuff. And so what is it that we should hold on to? If we're not going to hold on to our money, we're, we're kind of people that we want to hold on to something. So what is it that we should hold on to? Well, what if we would just hold on to Jesus? What if we would literally just hold on to Jesus? What if we would cling so tightly to Jesus that we would be literally willing to let go of anything else in our life to just cling on to what he is? Because this is what the scriptures tell us about who Jesus is. Jesus is says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is eternal. He will not decay. Moth and rust will never change him. He will not tarnish or spoil. Holding tightly to him can never harm others or yourself, holding tightly to him can only help others in, your, in yourself. What would happen if we would just hold firmly to Jesus? What would happen if we would just say, Jesus, I am all in with you, and whatever else happens, we'll deal with that as it comes, but I am all in with you. I'm not going to hold tight to anything else. I'm going to hold tightly to you. If you can hold on to him, you can hold everything else in your life with open hands. But what if you don't even know who Jesus is? What if you got invited to church today and you've never even heard about Jesus? What if you're listening to the podcast and maybe somebody sent it to you? Maybe somebody shared it with you. Maybe somebody cared enough to invite you to church or send you a copy of this sermon and you're just listening to this and you're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. I don't even know. What does that mean to like hold on to him? What does that look like? Well, let me just tell you about him. 
Let me just tell you about Jesus real quick. If you're somebody that's new here today and you've never heard of Jesus, let me just tell you who he is. This is how it worked. In the very, very beginning, God made everything. God made everything. He made everything that you can see. He made it, all of it. There was nothing, and then God spoke it into existence. And it was beautiful, and it was perfect, and it worked exactly like it was supposed to. It was beautiful, and it was perfect, and it worked exactly like it was supposed to. And at the, at the, the masterpiece of all this creation, God created man. He created man, and he put him in charge of this world. He put him in charge of everything, and he said, he said, have everything you want. Just don't eat from that one tree over there. And man decided that they wanted what was in that tree, and so they ate from it, and that's when sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it broke it. You can look around the world right now, and you see evidence of the brokenness of the world all around you. You don't have to look far to see it. You see it in homelessness. You see it in cancer. You see it in people getting sick. You see it all over the place. You see it in mass shootings. You see just the brokenness of the world all over the place. And what happens is that once sin entered the world, the the world was broken, and now we live in this broken world. And the very, very worst part of living in this broken world is not just the brokenness. It's that that we have to live separated from God. Because as sinners, God can't be around us. And so we live separated from him. But God loved us so much that he would not leave us in that separated state. And so he sent Jesus down here. He sent Jesus down here on a rescue mission to save us, to live the perfect life that we never could, to die the horrific death that we deserve, and to defeat that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him. That is the good news. That is what Jesus did. And if you've never believed that, if you don't know who Jesus is, I can see why you would hold so tightly to money or power or something else. But if you know Jesus, you can let go of all that other stuff and just cling to him. So church, can you believe? Can you believe today? And can that belief inform the way that you live your life? Let's pray. God, help us to hold so tightly to you that we are willing to hold so loosely to everything else in our life. God, help us to see the areas in our life where we are letting other things get in the way of what you have planned for us. God, help us to be generous people. Help us to be generous with our time and with our talents and with our resources that you may be glorified. Lord, that it would literally be for our good and your glory. Help us to be those kind of people. And God, if there's anybody in this room today, if there's anybody listening to this sermon who has never believed in you, God, I ask you to save them. God, I ask you to do what I could never do. I ask you to do what can never be done through preaching. God, I ask you to save them, to come to them, to save them, that they could believe in you, that they could have the security of knowing you, clinging to you. Lord, we ask all of this. In your son's name, amen.